go. What is up? Welcome to Football Life Presents the Audible. I'm your host, Randy Hammond. As always, happy Friday to the folks out there. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Matt Bushnell, all the way out in Arizona, where I'm sure the weather is better than it is in upstate New York today. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Randy. We're going to catch some heat down here. Today it's 110, tomorrow 116, and Sunday 117 degrees. Uh, there it is, your uh, Arizona forecast on Football Life presents the Audible. Well done, buddy, there. Uh, just a quick forecast for upstate New York. We are expecting a hurricane, so yeah, that's fun. Uh, as of 2020, could not get any more interesting for me. Um, all right, so we have a great show planned for you today, at least I think so. Uh, we're going to talk about some team name changes, potentially. We're going to talk about some uh, insensitive comments made by a Philadelphia Eagles player, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, a new rule that players are pretty mad about with this coronavirus situation, and it's we're going to continue with our division preview, Matt, and I got to tell you, uh, not the most exciting division ever, but certainly one that I'm looking forward to talking about because it's going to bring us some entertainment in 2020. Give me your quick thoughts about the NFC South. Top heavy and the bottom half of this division is really bottom heavy. Yeah, it's a two-team division and uh, that's for sure. So we're going to break down the NFC South in a little bit. But, you know, Matt, when the biggest contract in the history of sports happens in the sport that you do a podcast about, you can't lead the show with anything else. And I'm not exaggerating. The biggest contract in the history of sports, not American sports, not, not football, just the world, the history of sports. And I'm, we're talking Patrick Mahomes here. 10 years, $503 million. That is a half a billion dollars. And it's kind of an underpaid situation here. Uh, I think that you, you, know, you and I both have expressed our feelings towards Patrick Mahomes. I think he's the best player in the sport by far. Totally deserved. Uh, this deal. Um, your quick thoughts on Patrick Mahomes and the uh, insane contract that the Chiefs gave him this week. I can't find a single reason why this is a bad contract for Mahomes and why it's a bad contract for the Chiefs. You can't give me another position in sports, Randy, any sport, you can name it, that has such a huge impact on the outcome of games. The quarterback position is the most important position in all of sports, bar none. I don't care what anyone says. And it has such a huge impact on what your team's success will be. I mean, we've seen teams like the Bears waste a really great defense because they can't score points because the quarterback's inept. Um, we've seen a handful of other teams, the Broncos, that were able to win a championship, but that's only with a generational defense. So we see that Mahomes – elevates everything on the Chiefs. And, yes, they have Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, um, a plethora of running backs, you know, um, Damian Williams, who is one of the Super Bowl heroes. They have a lot of talent, but Patrick Mahomes, you know, you got to have that souped-up Corvette engine. You just can't have the body of the Corvette because it's just not the same. And he's so important. And like you said, I love how you said this might be an underpay for a contract. Yeah, he could have gone four years and maybe $225 million, maybe, you know, five years, $250 million, and then re-up for another contract. But if you can get the money now, you get the money now. At signing, he got $63 million. As soon as he put ink to paper, by far, 
I think when it's all said and done, Randy, we're going to be talking about Patrick Mahomes being in that upper echelon of quarterback where it's just so well-structured. And I see Corey Richmond. I actually really asked a good question. Um, the salary cap killer down the stretch of the contract. So here's a couple of things to keep in mind. The NFL Sunday ticket with DirecTV, that contract expires after 2021, I believe. They are going to get paid massive amounts of money, which will go back and feed into the cap. Then the television contracts with Fox and CBS will also be coming up around the same time. And I think 2024, that is going to lend itself to huge money. The NFL is so unique in how they can draw viewership. I mean, you take a look at last season, Randy, we talk about it all the time. The top programs are all NFL football. It is literally insane. Mm -hmm. So Patrick, this deal is going to look like a bargain. Even though he's getting paid $59 million in 2027, it is not going to be prohibitive <laughs> to this team long term. <laughs> You said it so beautifully there. I think that you have to look at how the NFL's growth is with the money situation, too. They're going to sign new contracts with these teams. The cap's going to go up as we go. Uh, and I'm just looking at his salaries throughout the years, and you mentioned $59 million in 2027, which is the largest year uh, income that he has. Um, and then in 2030, uh, it's $50 million. And then 2031, it is $52 million. I think it's important to keep in mind he's 24 years old. By the time this contract's over, he will be 34 years old, which is still younger than what Aaron Rodgers is now. I'm pretty sure Tom Brady still won three titles after 34 years old. Um, this is a great deal for considering his age and his production, which I just want to point out his production. He's been a starter for, in the NFL for two seasons now. He'd been in the NFL for three, been a starter for two. The first year he became a starter, he threw for 50 touchdowns. Uh, he threw four, over 5,000 yards, only 12 interceptions, one NFL MVP. This is his first year as a starter. This is insane. Uh, last year, he had injury problems, but he still played uh, 15 games. He still threw 26 touchdowns. He won a Super Bowl. It was the first Super Bowl for Kansas City in 50 years. I don't think you could put a number on that. What that meant to the city, what that meant to the organization and their fans, like, that, that is, like Eli Manning will be beloved by Giants fans forever because of those two titles. And I think Patrick Mahomes deserves this. So I just want to, before I get to this next question here, I just want to say, two seasons as a starter for Patrick Mahomes, 76 touchdowns and 9,412 yards passing. And that is insanity. In less than 20 interceptions, <laughs> this guy is crazy efficient. He's by far the best player in the sport. I don't – anyone who is doubting this contract or thinking he's not worth it, I just need you to go watch him play because he is the most exciting, most efficient, most uh, productive player in the sport, and he's the most important player in the sport. So I absolutely think this is worth it. And I mentioned the title. They won the Super Bowl. He won Super Bowl MVP. Just how many titles is Patrick Mahomes going to bring to Kansas City on this deal? Well, I want to go back in history before I answer that question. Don't forget that first year starting, Randy, he went to the AFC Championship game. They get the ball first in overtime against the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Tom Brady doesn't have six rings mm -hmm. because I don't think mm -hmm. they stopped them from scoring. Not, not one bit. Whoever got the ball first was going to score. Both those defenses were gassed. So we could almost be talking maybe back-to-back -back Super Bowl championships for Patrick Mahomes. With that being said, absolutely, I cannot find a team that I could reasonably stay outside of the Baltimore Ravens and beat this team next year. Could it happen? It's football. Everything happens. It's one game. 
but you take a look at how talented, and if they lock up Chris Jones and get a little bit more relief salary cap wise, I mean, in the future, I, I think the Chiefs are the favorite easily going into the next three seasons. It's how they supplement the roster after that, especially when that big money starts hitting. And I mean, we've said it, the cap's going to go up, but you still have players that you're going to have to keep under contract. But I, I think for the next three years, it's very possible we could see two Patrick Mahomes Super Bowls. So three out of the next five years, we could say, yeah, Patrick Mahomes won three. Going into the future, going to go on a limb here. And I say he gets five. You know, I, I know that we come off as, when we talk about Patrick Mahomes especially, a little fanboyish and maybe a little hot take-ish, but I don't think it can be understated how great this man is and what he does. Um, I think when you have a quarterback at his level that, it's not to say that the rest of the team doesn't matter, but you can surround him with average players and he will elevate them to the level that you need to be successful. So say you can't pay a guy like Tyreek Hill, yes, that hurts in his speed and everything, but you still have guys like Nicole Hardman and, you know, other surrounding receivers. And like you said with Damian Williams, he was a Super Bowl hero, but Damian Williams was an undrafted running back who no one even thinks is very good at all. And you'd be shocker, but, you know, when you have a great quarterback, you can make anyone around you successful, especially like at a running back position. If they can keep the, uh, the O-line healthy and stable for him, I don't see how they'd leave this 10-year deal without five rings. This man will make it happen for them, and especially if Andy Reid is there. Andy Reid is getting kind of old. I know that they uh, – I think Andy Reid at the end of this contract will be about 74, which uh, obviously is pretty up there. Um, I, I could see, you know, this ending uh, with Andy Reid walking into the sunset as one of the greatest winners in the history of the sport after being vilified for never being able to win a, <laughs> win a championship. Um, but I also think that he should maybe not yet, but start grooming someone underneath him that could be ready to take this on when Andy Reid is ready to walk away, because I don't know what Andy Reid's career aspirations are, but he's getting kind of old, right? I mean, yeah, I, I think in eight years he'll be 70, but let's visit the Andy Reid coaching tree here for a second. I mean, we're talking mm -hmm. Doug Peterson, who's wildly successful in Philadelphia, Frank Reich out in, um, God, I'm forgetting it, in Indianapolis. And I really, <laughs> I really love Indianapolis. And then, I mean, I'm even partial to Matt Nagy, who's coaching my Chicago Bears. I mean, I, I like Nagy. I don't think he's as part of as big of the problem as some people are making him out to be. I think he was a little hard-headed when it came to Drabisky, but I still think there's a lot of room there for Nagy to evolve as a coach. And I mean, I know I'm forgetting some names for Andy Reid, but man, you, you hire off the Andy Reid tree. You don't hire off the Belichick tree. Andy Reid's coaches are pretty good, and Eric Bieniemy is still there, who a lot of people were high on, and a lot of people mm -hmm. thought he should have got the Giants job. Um, unfortunately, he did not, but I do think Eric Bieniemy is going to be a great coach when he gets that opportunity. So we start looking eight years into the future. I wanted Bieniemy on the Giants real bad. Yeah, we talked about it, and I totally get that. I would mm -hmm. want him too. I, I think you take a look at it. Maybe Doug Peterson goes back home to Kansas City. Maybe Matt Nagy, who loves mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that's one of the bigger storylines that got buried was Matt Nagy used to kind of pout a little bit this during practices this past year, talking about, well, if we had Patrick, he would have made that throw. I mean, so Nagy hasn't hide his love affair for Patrick Mahomes very well in Chicago. And maybe Frank Reich decides, <laughs> you know what, this is not, 
the place where I want to be. So I really think Andy Reid has such has done such a good job that you can't tell me one of his disciples will not bite at the apple to go back home with Patrick Mahomes and coach him. I mean, he, he would be a coach's dream. That's job security to the umpteenth degree. So I, 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 yeah. I think it's no, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of possibilities. I really love Kansas city for the life of this contract. Yeah, and I just want to correct myself. It is a 10-year deal, but Patrick Mahomes is still under contract for two more years, so it's a 10-year extension. So he's under contract for the next 12 years for Kansas City. Um, you know, talk about job security and being a Chiefs fan right now has got to be pretty nice. Um, I'm happy for my friend Tanner Wolf, who I know has been through a lot being a Chiefs fan. Uh, like, if you're a Chiefs fan, you got to be just really happy about how everything shook out here. You were heavily criticized for taking Mahomes when you did in 2017 draft. A lot of people thought he was a project and not worth it. And in just three short years, he has signed the, the largest contract in the history of sports. Does not take long, Matt, but when you're successful and you're successful fast, you know, you get money thrown your way and honestly it's worth it. I don't blame the Chiefs one bit for this. Um, yeah. And Corey Richmond, one more comment said that, uh, he, you know, he's hoping that Mahomes is like Brady who will be willing to restructure his deal and bring other pieces down the line. Mahomes is a humble guy. I think Mahomes understands how this works. So I think if it's a situation where he needs to take a bit of a pay cut to sign someone that could greatly help their chances, I kind of feel like he's that kind of person. So I don't think that's much of an issue. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where even if he doesn't restructure, you want the quarterback in place above all else. Like if you have a quarterback Mm -hmm. of Mahomes' stature, you lock that up and you deal with all the other pieces later because that's going to give you the best chance to win every Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and just to see my New England fans um, struggle with this, I, I'd like to see him get six rings and, and tie Tom Brady. So uh, I'm going to go six rings for the Kansas City Chiefs. Tanner, you're very welcome, and I'm very happy for you in advance. Uh, <laughs> all right, so other news right before the 4th of July, it came out that Nike and FedEx has been kind of forcing the Washington Redskins' hand on potential name change. This has been something that has been talked about for a very long time now. Um, Nike removed all Redskins merchandise from their website. FedEx said it will not support uh, the Redskins playing at their field, which is the sponsor for their field, uh, if they do not change the name. So Dan Snyder said that they are seriously reconsidering the name, which I kind of think at this point it's going to happen. But, Matt, I just want to get your thoughts. Should they change the name out there in Washington? Out of all the names that we've discussed, this is the one that's so obvious that has to change. Even if people are for it nowadays – I think the people that fight this don't understand the context of how that name was used back in the 1800s and the early you know, 20th century, which would be the early 1900s. It was used to demean Native American people, and it really has no place in culture, of any culture. It's a bigoted term. I don't think it's as well known as the N-word that you know, we are all way too familiarized with. But this name is something that is highly offensive. You, you can't get away with trying to hide behind this. There's no saying, well, if this team's named this, then we'll name this team that. You know, th- th- this name is so offensive. And I do have, I mean, I've had ancestors that are Native American. I don't consider myself Native American because I don't practice the culture. And I think that's the big thing here is the culture of being a Native American and understanding your ancestry and your roots and the history of that. 
So we can debate all the other names and I can listen and we can talk about that. But this is the one name where it just, it can't stand. It's so racist and it has so many racial undertones that I think this one, the sooner it changes, the better off this whole culture will be. Yeah, I know Snyder has been adamant about not changing it and how it does, you know, honor the Native American people and uh, it's, it wasn't meant to be that way. But unfortunately, like you said, it was a slur at the end of the day uh, and where other uh, Native American team names are, are not, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, I know I, I'm not particularly offended by it, but it does not mean how other people are not like doesn't mean other people aren't. Uh, I know that they do have Native American support. However, to me, I'm not outraged by this because this has always been a thing that was just inevitable. It was always going to happen that they were going to change their name. And just with how everything has gone this year, I think that it's, we probably should have seen this coming <laughs> that the Redskins were going to have to change their name. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think that if you're a Washington football fan, maybe this could be a turn of the page. You've been so bad for so long now. Maybe let's start fresh with a new name and try to uh, attack the football world and be successful here. Um, Corey Richmond asks us in the comment section, should the Chiefs change their name as well? And then we talked about this before the show that I don't find that to be nearly as controversial. And I think you agree, right? Yeah, the Chiefs name, I, I, I can live with. I don't think that's offensive. I don't think that's something that mocks, you know, the Native American heritage, especially back in history. I mean, it's, you know, everyone has a chief hierarchy. But once again, I don't want to be the spokesperson on that part of it. Like I can listen and I'm more than willing to listen to all pieces of that and mm -hmm. for, formulate my opinion, but it doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter on that. You know, it's the people that you named it after that I think would have to be consulted. And if they feel like it's offensive, then by all means, I think you have to take that with a high amount of consideration more so than anything else. And I think we have to get past how we feel about it. It doesn't matter how we feel, yeah. you know, Randy, you and I talked about it. We're both Caucasian Americans. I, I think if we both traced our bloodlines back, we do, we'd probably find both Native American ancestry on both sides of our families. Yeah. So I don't want to get into, you know, being that spokesperson because I'm not, I never will be. I have to let them speak for it and they should speak for it. But um, if the Blackhawks change their names and I'm a huge Chicago fan, I, I'm not attached to it. I'm, I'm attached to the team. I remember the championships. It's like, I'm not going to go around supporting the team name if they find it offensive, but I will be proud of the championships and the players that they had. The team name does not make the team. Yeah, that's well said. I, I think it's important for us to just hear people out. Um, like you said, like I, I, who am I to tell anyone how to feel about this? If you are someone of that culture and you feel a certain type of way, best thing I can do is, uh, is, you know, listen to you and be empathetic and embrace that. So I think that's just the important thing here is if there are a group of people who are from that descent and feel a certain type of way about it, we kind of just had to let them feel that way. And then, like you said, it's not about how we feel. So um, the name change is inevitable, I think, at this point. So what do you think the name change should be? I've read that there's two front runners for the names, which would be the Washington Warriors. And then the other one would be the Washington Red Tails. I kind of like the backstory for both of those things. But although there is some question even about the Golden State Warriors, um, do you like either of those team names or do you, would you rather see something else? You know, I want to do more research on the red tails, but that one really kind of stuck with me when I read it today. You know, I, I like it. 
I think it has a lot more, um, a, a higher degree of respect behind it. And it's not totally yeah. changing the entire identity. You know, you can still relate to it. So I, I lean towards that one. But like I said, I want to do more research on the name and, you know, just find out a little bit more about it, more history. And, you know, I, I think it's one of those cool, maybe it could turn out to be a really cool story at the end of the day. I agree. And uh, I know that Ron Rivera, who is the new coach of the Redskins, wants to help make the change and make it in a way that uh, honors our military, which they could go a lot of different ways with that. Uh, I'm interested to see where they land. Um, I used to always make the joke and not to make light of the situation that they could still keep the name Redskin and just make the logo a Redskin potato. <laughs> and uh, I always thought that would be a way that they could change it and not be offensive because I, I love Redskin potatoes. I don't know about you, but uh, I think they're delicious. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's definitely one way to look at it. <laughs> They'll never do that. And yeah, um, I'm interested to see what happens, but yeah, a name change is inevitable at this point. I don't know if they can get it in before the season starts. Cause you got to imagine, like you got to think about the seasons, you know, less than two months away now. So you have to come up with a name, come up with a logo, change uniforms. It's a lot of stuff. So I would, I think that in this, it's just not enough time, but we'll see. I, I, I'm skeptical of it happening before the season starts. Well, I think this may be such one of those important things that they do speed up the process quite a bit. I, I would be surprised, especially with no preseason now. It gives them a little extra breathing yeah. room. And we can hope, you know, this has been over a week since the story came out that they've been working on something and kind of getting a head start on that before anything uh, has been truly released to the public. All right. Yeah. A couple of serious topics today, but, um, you know, Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson's in the news for uh, posting some anti-Semitic comments on his Instagram page the other day. Uh, and he, you know, at first wasn't getting the backlash. And I think now people are kind of understanding like what he said is not okay. And I understand, you know, there's a lot of um, social issues being talked about in the sports world. And I think that he was probably trying to share something among those lines, but I think he kind of missed the boat here. Um, you know, discrimination is discrimination uh, regardless. And I think that he did not understand that. But, you know, I don't know if you saw what he said. And if you did, uh, what were your thoughts about it? I think it was totally misguided. You know, I think it's one of those things where people say the outrage wasn't there initially. Well, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, how do you know a tree fell? So I don't think Deshaun Jackson has that high right. of a following where people are, you know, noticed it right away. Maybe those who were going to be offended didn't catch on until later on. So I think that kind of explains it. I did yeah. see the tweet. I mean, it, it sucks because there, you feel so much emotion and you feel progress. You know, we're trying to make sure things are equal for everybody. And I can understand where, what direction he may have gone, but man, it, it went off way off base and I would like to see athletes that have such a high platform and I don't want them to be the role models of people because I think that is something that, you know, parents have to make sure at home that they're the role models for their children. And then the sport, the athletes can be supplemental in that aspect. But when you have such a huge platform to speak on, and this is what you choose to do, without researching, without investigating it, and making sure you choose your words extremely careful. I mean, it, it, it stinks. There's not a good way to describe or defend what he did. It's indefensible. And it's like Herm Edwards, who always sets. 
don't press send. So, unfortunately, the son Jackson press send. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's too, we live in a world where, you know, you support something and so many people are looking for you to say the wrong thing and to jump down your throat and use that against you. And you're not even hiding anything at this point. You're just coming out and saying, I didn't do my research about this and I'm totally not getting the point here. Uh, all you have to say is that you're quoting Hitler and almost every single person, regardless of the spectrum that you're supporting here, will tell you that it's a bad thing. Um, there's, <laughs> it's just not, and I'm not going to read the quote. I mean, if you're interested, you can find it out there, but it's pretty despicable um, what he said. And, you know, I'm not a Jewish person. But I, 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 it doesn't mean I can't be empathetic. Like I said, and it's, it's the fact that he could even think that that was okay is mind boggling to me. <laughs> like, you didn't think about like, Hey, you know, this is, you know, one of the worst humans to ever walk the earth. And he had a quote that kind of supports what I'm trying to get across here. And I'm going to share this, you know, maybe reconsider. Um, I think the, the Herm Edwards quote is totally appropriate there. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles right before we came on did punish him. All they said is that he's being penalized for con conduct detrimental to the team. I don't know if that means he's suspended. I don't know if that means he's being fined. Um, and, you know, with we live in a world where if you say the wrong thing, people just shun you and you're done forever here. But it seems like Deshaun Jackson is going out of his way to, you know, at least educate himself and better himself. So maybe that is because of partial backlash. Um, as Leon Tompkins pointed out in the comments, uh, Julian Edelman, uh, who is Jewish, wanted to meet up with him and talk to him about this and he also uh, Jackson himself is meeting with a 94 year old Holocaust survivor which you know at the end of the day you can make a mistake and you can leave it as is you can double down or you can grow and learn from it I think that's so important with the world we live in now and is if you say something or you do something that's wrong just how do you get better from it and I'm not trying to give him credit for this but at the end of the day at least he's taking responsibility and he's being accountable for his actions so at that the very least we can say bravo on that totally agree and I, I i never want to question a man's heart because you just really never know and i i know a little bit about deshaun jackson's background man and you talk about rough i mean that's the epitome of rough growing up in south or down you know south central la which is probably you know one of the lucky ones to get out alive with all the violence there and he was in gangs and really it's a story of about a human becoming better than what he is and he's educating himself i'm sure his education was not spectacular in south central la especially joining a gang and then in college i mean we can discuss that all day long and how colleges can fudge grades i mean just saying andy katzenmoyer ex-ohio state linebacker got drafted by the patriots he had a underwater basket weaving class at ohio state so take from that what you will but <laughs> I do like I, I do like that Deshaun Jackson is taking these steps, like Leon said. All we can ask is for a human to make a mistake, and when you make that mistake, own up to it and then grow from it. How are you going to grow from this mistake? And he's, from what it sounds like, he's making some very positive strides. Absolutely, and I'm not here to tell, you know, I'm not here to cancel anyone or anything like that. When you make a mistake, the best thing you can do is learn from it. A lot of my life has been based on reaction to failure. You know, failure does a great job of shaping humanity. So we can learn a lot from our failures. And I think Deshaun Jackson is working on that. So, uh, all right, we're going to talk about a little thing that is totally NFL, if you ask me. This is the most NFL story ever. Uh, it makes me laugh just even thinking about it. But um, 
the NFL released uh, updated game day protocols regarding COVID-19 and uh, it kind of got the players mad at one thing in particular. Um, and there is a, <laughs> any, any players exchanging jerseys will be banned after any games, any post game interaction at all will be prohibited of any kind within six feet of one another. And the best response, if you ask me, to this whole situation was Richard Sherman, who is a super smart guy, obviously went to Stanford, always has really uh, intelligent thoughts on these things. It is <laughs> – I don't have the exact quote on me, but, you know, we can play football and bash each other in the head for an hour uh, and sweat and hit each other and be right up on each other. But after the game, no, 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 you got to be six feet apart after the game. You can't, you can't exchange jerseys. You can't be within six feet of each other. And then uh, <laughs> there was another player – um, who straight up just said, uh, this has to be a joke, right? Like, this can't be a real rule, but turns out it is. So, Matt, is, are you really that surprised the NFL is doing this? You know, I try to defend the NFL on certain things, but this is honestly the stupidest thing I've seen. Like, why? Like, exactly to Richard Sherman's point, you're beating the living hell out of each other for a certain amount of time and then you're like oh well no. you know all that stuff that happened you know sweat coughing germs how this virus spreads is through the air but don't you dare hand that jersey off that really this <laughs> virus has been proven that it cannot be transferred from surfaces it's airborne just incredibly just ignorance It's just the most NFL thing to me that is where's the logic there. I want to be in that meeting when they come up with these protocols and I want to be the guy who reads these and say, so who, who makes, who, who thinks this makes sense? Who, like, what, what is the logic behind this? Because this man could hit this person, sweat on him, cough on him, bleed on that same Jersey, but he can't give the Jersey back to the guy who has all of that germs all over it. That is no go. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, it's very NFL. It does not surprise me, but it's hilarious. I love that they're getting roasted by the players on this. Yeah, it's it's next level NFL stuff. Like, <laughs> you know what? If they would have said, "Hey, you know what? Instead of tackling, it's going to be flag football for the entire year," and then you want to ban jersey swaps, fine. Okay, whatever. I whatever. You're the NFL. Yeah. But having full contact and then doing this, it's next level stupid. Uh, it's big time stupid and uh, whether there'll be a season or not, it still remains to be seen. But, you know, if it shakes out that way, maybe players will start doing the uh, take off the Jersey and just tossing it to them instead of doing the high five and stuff. So uh, we'll see. They'll come up with new ways to do this. You know, that, you know, players are trolls. They'll, they'll, they'll troll the NFL somehow with this. Uh, all right. So I think time, it is the appropriate time now to move on to our divisional series. And we are halfway there now. We've done four of them. Uh, all pretty random. Um, I think that our group has done a good job of keeping us on our toes as to which one we're doing when. Um, but it's the NFC South. And, uh, you know, for the longest time, you could say that Drew Brees ran this division and the Saints have been the, the cream of the crop. But I think you and I were going to get to it. There's a new team in town that uh, could be the favorites to win the Super Bowl even. Uh, we'll get to them in just a minute. But I want to start off with the team, the couple teams here that are clearly different than the, the two, top two. And uh, the Carolina Panthers are the first team I want to discuss here because they are going through a bit of a transition. Uh, Cam Newton has been their quarterback for the last decade. They picked him number one, number one overall in 2010 or 2011. Regardless, he's been their starter for the whole time. He won an MVP. He hold, holds every major passing record for the franchise. Uh, brought him to a Super Bowl. Obviously, didn't win the Super Bowl, but 
he's gone. He's out. He's in New England now. We talked about that last last week. Uh, Cam Newton's going to be the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots. Enter in Teddy Bridgewater uh, as their starting quarterback, who obviously backed up the Saints and Drew Brees last year. He came in for Drew when he got hurt. Did a pretty good job, actually, I thought. Um, he had a devastating injury with the Minnesota Vikings a few years back. Um, but it seems like he's healthy and ready to go. Do you believe in Teddy Bridgewater? I'm a big Teddy Bridgewater fan. I, I like his game. Is he one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL? No. I mean, I think we all know that. The arm talent is not as great as a lot of the other quarterbacks in the NFL. But why he can't be successful? I think he went 5-0 and with the Saints when Breeze was out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's very yeah. capable of winning games. And it wasn't like he played against bad defenses either. I mean, he went to Chicago and basically pants the Bears. So... <laughs> I, I I like Teddy. I think he can do a lot of really good things. So I feel bad for him because I wish he would have got a better opportunity with a better team and not a team that's rebuilding. He he got his money. Happy for Teddy. You know, three years, $63 million, hell of a contract. So now we have to ask ourselves, what does he have around him? Well, we could take a look at Christian McCaffrey. I I really like Christian McCaffrey a lot. I think fantasy owners love him. I worry about his longevity in the sport, Randy, because of how much usage he's going to get, especially without having the skill position players around him to help alleviate the pressure. Greg Olson's gone. A A lot of the guys that were there are now gone. So how successful can Teddy be? I don't know, but this team's not going to win a lot of games. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the surrounding cast because it's going to be the Christian McCaffrey show for sure, and that's what it was last year uh, when Kyle Allen came in for Cam Newton, and obviously they weren't successful, but Christian McCaffrey certainly put up the numbers of an elite player, probably the best, uh, if not the second best running back in the sport, depending on your preferences. Um, but I actually kind of like the running back, uh, their wide receivers here a little bit. I like DJ Moore a lot. I think he's really underrated. Uh, Robbie Anderson, decent for the Jets. I think you know with a little bit better quarterback play, he would have been fine. Uh, and Curtis Samuel, decent slot guy. And they're not like the, they're not going to blow the roof off the place, but I think those are solid weapons. If they don't have a true number one, uh, I think DJ Moore could be that, I guess, but I, I'm not sure if, how well that's going to go with Teddy Bridgewater. But this team is going to go basically about as far as Christian McCaffrey takes them. And you know my feelings about building an offense around a running back. I don't think it's going to be <laughs> the greatest decision to do in the long, long run here. Um, but, you know, the man in charge of this offense and, and the defense for that matter is uh, Matt Rule, who surprisingly took the deal with the Carolina Panthers because the rumor was he was taking the deal with the Giants. And, you know, when the offseason happened, I wanted Matt Rule or I wanted Eric Bieniemy. Obviously, neither of those things happened. But Matt Rule completely changed the program at Baylor. They were they had all those sanctions beers back uh, and he completely rebuilt that program. Um, still not like the greatest program ever, but the fact that he dug them out of the grave that they were in and turned them into a winning, winning, uh, you know, program is, you know, a lot to be said about that. Uh, he also grabbed the offensive coordinator for the LSU, uh, for LSU, which I believe his last name is Brady. I, I, I can't think of what his first name is, but he had all that success with Joe Burrow. So, you know, they're obviously trying to transition into a college style offense here. Um, you know, what, what, what's your confidence level in that rule right now? Man, it's it's. I don't know. I I think going into the NFL, we saw a lot of people are high on Cliff Kingsbury, and obviously we'll hit that on the NFC West. Kingsbury offense was, I mean, it was successful at times. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think year two is going to be more telling when defensive coordinators actually get the hand, their hands on the tape and diagnose tendencies and everything like that. So that could definitely change things up a little bit. College coaches are always a wild card to me. I, I think I've learned my lesson a little bit with Kingsbury because I thought Kingsbury was going to suck, and he didn't suck as much as I thought he was going to suck. But he still had some holes in his coaching game. Rule, I'll imagine, probably have the same amount. But, you know, I'm open to new possibilities, Randy. This is a new year, a new NFL. Things are changing. <laughs> Names are changing. I got to change, too. So I'm going to oh. give Matt Rule a chance. <laughs> uh, we talked about growth, Matt. I'm really proud of you because we all got to grow in this life. You know, just because you got one opinion doesn't mean you can't change when you get new information. Uh, a lot of me really loves the way he – Doug Baylor out of that grave right and I really think that he did a great job with that but also part of me looks at you know Bill O'Brien did the same thing with Penn State and <laughs> it could go that that way as well so it, you really don't know for sure how this is going to go I think the best case scenario for the Panthers and for Rule and this is no, not a shot at Teddy Bridgewater but if they can land themselves a franchise quarterback in the next couple seasons here uh I don't know if they're going to be bad enough to get a guy like Trevor Lawrence, which, you know, would be obviously great for them. Um, but they gave Teddy Bridgewater a large contract, so I don't even know how how that's going to work. Um, but I think they did have a good draft. I think all things considered that, you know, when you're building a roster and you're rebuilding, you want to start off your first tenure here with a good draft. Um, <clears throat> they ended up taking – and I can't even – I'm not sure where I, I even had it, but I did have it somewhere – um, but even last year, they had – oh, they had Derek Brown. So, Derek Brown is considered the best interior defensive lineman in that draft. Um, they got him way later. They got him at seven. Um, so, that's good for them. And then also on the defensive end, they drafted Yutur Gross Matos, which is a, a Penn State linebacker who uh, is touted for his pass rushing abilities. So, you know, building on the defensive end is very important. Brian Burns, they picked the year before, uh, had a good rookie season. I really like him at, uh, as an edge rusher. They still have Shaq Thompson. So, uh, the worst part about their defense is they have Eli Apple, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> I think nailing this first draft, which I think they did a good job with, is important going forward, and how they develop a culture is very important. But I still think they're missing that guy at the quarterback spot, and it's not anything against Teddy Bridgewater, but I think that you know this this team will be as successful as their quarterback, and I'm just not sure about it. Yeah, I would be really interested in what Rule's thoughts are um, on Tua and Joe Burrow. Obviously, I don't think they had the ammunition to trade up to get Burrow. I mean, th that would require a couple of drafts, and this team can't afford to send future draft picks. And maybe that was the same case with Tua. They just couldn't afford to send extra draft picks to get Tua. So you kind of look at, well, what does Rule see? Bridgewater's a steady quarterback. They're building up a defense. They have a run game. Their secondary is atrocious. I mean, everything about their secondary. And I think they have some holes in the inside linebacker position, which makes the addition of Derek Brown that much more important to kind of stuff it at that initial level. So the linebackers, the only thing they have to do is clean it up a little bit. Uh, but after that, man, once you get past that defensive line and the outside edge rushers with, some of the guys they have, I, I really worry about the secondary being exploited. You mentioned Eli Apple. I think it's well documented how terrible he is in pass coverage. And I mean, it's not a stretch to say he's one of the worst pass coverage corners in the NFL. I mean, it, it gets ugly quick with Eli. So then you take a look at, okay, 
that can control the clock. Teddy's not going to make bad decisions. He, he generally has a low interception rate, so he's going to keep the ball safe. So I kind of like what Matt Rule is doing here, but I can also see it, like you said, and I think is very underrated, or you know, kind of flies under the radar a little bit. They may not be bad enough to get that first overall pick, because keep in mind, we don't know how good Cincinnati is going to be, a team that we covered. I mean, the Jets could bottom out, and it's really dependent on how good Sam Darnold is, but they still got Adam Gase, and Adam Gase is still making decisions. The Lions can be really bad, and we don't even know what they're going to do with Stafford. And then, I mean, the Bears are a wild card. I mean, the Bears, the the bottom could fall out, and they could tear the whole damn thing down. There's two teams in the NFC East that picked in the top five last year, and I don't think either of them are all that much better either, so. Yeah, so, my so, Giants being one of them, <laughs> and you got a Patriots coach as your head coach now, which yeah, historically, <laughs> historically, that's not boding well for you. So, if Matt rules a competent coach and they play a ball control style offense with Kristen McCaffrey feeds right into, and Teddy Bridgewater is very comfortable throwing those dump passes to the running backs, Alvin Kamara. This team could win four or five games and be out of the conversation for the first pick. Yeah, I think you're right. And that leads in perfectly to the official team predictions. Uh, Carolina Panthers in 2020, Matt, are you sticking with that four or five range? Yeah, because I think Rule is smart enough to see what he has. And the first thing a coach wants to do is set a culture. You can't come in there and tank right away. So I I like what they've done. with the addition of Derek Brown and Gratos, as you mentioned before, I do like the offense. I don't like the wide receivers. I like the offensive line. I don't think the offensive line is as bad as some people may think it is. I think it's probably in the middle of the pack. Perfect setup for Teddy Bridgewater and Christian McCaffrey to develop a really good relationship. Yeah. I'm stuck on the four wins here. Um, I just think that they're rebuilding and uh, there's a lot of growing pains in that situation. And, you know, I, I think that there's a, it's a tough division for them, uh, considering that there's two really great teams at the top here. So uh, I could, I think 4-12 and 12 is right for them. Um, so that brings us to the other team in this division that we don't feel like is going to be all that good. But you know, the more I look at my at the roster, the more I talk myself into them. Uh, it's the Atlanta Falcons. And it seems like, you know, I mean, last year they just started atrocious, but they ended the year 6-2, and, and it seems like that saved – Dan Quinn's job uh you talked about before the show that you're a Dan Quinn fan but I gotta say before the season on the list of coaches on the hot seat he's one of them yeah this team is perplexing in so many different areas Randy I I don't know what your take on Matt Ryan is I feel like he's in the upper echelon of quarterbacks top 10 because he always puts up pretty decent numbers but when you watch him, you don't feel like he's a top 10 quarterback because he always kind of leaves you wanting more, like the throw that he didn't make, almost like he's too cautious out there, where as we talked about a guy like last week, Matthew Stafford would just chuck it up to Julio Jones no matter who's covering him. So does Matt Ryan hold this team back? Can they stay healthy enough to win a decent amount of games to save Quinn's job? How deep is the talent level? I mean, th- there's so many things working against this team. And it really feels like it's that old team, like old yeller. You just need to take it out in the back and just, <laughs> you know, do what you have to do. Yeah. Uh, it, this is the big thing with this team is that if you look at the roster and their depth chart, they have talent. It's not that they are absent of that. 
Um, Dan Quinn's been the coach since 2015. Obviously, he you know helped them reach a Super Bowl, which we're going to talk about the aftermath of that Super Bowl here in a minute. But um, you can't start as bad as you did last year for the third straight year, which would, that's what it would be. Um, and you can still, you know, you could bottom out in that situation, or you could finish strong. They finished six and two. They were made it respectable. That's all great and all, but then you have a worse draft pick, and, and you know your team doesn't really get all that much better. So for me, it's very important for the Falcons to not be mediocre for the first ten weeks of the season. You got you can't be, you know, three and seven at the beginning of the year and you know you expect to still have a job I, I think that, that this is a not a league where you're going to have longevity if you're not successful so uh and your point about Matt Ryan I think Matt Ryan is a good quarterback I think he is probably in the fringe 10 area as far as top 10 quarterbacks um that 2017 season I thought he played just as good as anyone that I've seen especially that year he won MVP of course which you could say is the Kyle Shanahan effect I understand that but he totally commanded that offense and totally like led them on like in a way he did, did the rest of his career, I think, uh, to wins. And I think that's so important. Matt Ryan also has benefited from having Julio Jones for the last nine years, who is a top three receiver uh, in this decade, um, which I think can't be understated. Um, I think that they've always had good running games that Ryan has benefited from. What he hasn't benefited from was good defenses, which is what they had in 2017 when they made it to the Super Bowl. They finally had a decent defense. Um, but I just want to talk about Matt Ryan's surrounding cast for a second. They did sign Todd Gurley, so I think people forget about that. Uh, they don't have the Devontae Freeman, uh, Tevin Coleman combo that they've always had, it seems like. But the compliment to Julio that I really like is Calvin Ridley, who has played really well in his first couple of years in the league. But I think what's going to be the biggest hit to this team is not having Austin Hooper anymore. Austin Hooper obviously signed a big contract with the Cleveland Browns. So now the starting tight end for the Atlanta Falcons is going to be Hayden Hurst, which was a first-round pick of the Ravens a few years back. I just – I got to see it to believe it. I just don't know if I trust him. I really think Matt Ryan relied on Austin Hooper over the middle of the field a lot, uh, especially with play action, those pop passes. Um, to me, this all started – and Jacob – mentioned it in the comments but the Falcons have been cursed since the third quarter of Super Bowl 51 when they were up 28 to 3 against the New England Patriots with five minutes left in the third quarter and then the rest is history they lose 34 28 in overtime it seems like this organization has been cursed and they've never been the same since then can that kind of loss really have an effect you know three four years later Matt sure as hell feels like it doesn't it I mean if I were to write a paper on the Atlanta Falcons, I think that's where you start. Like it's almost the epilogue of a book of, you know, this is why we are where we're at right now. This is what happened. This team, I don't, I don't want to say it's mental toughness because I hate questioning mental toughness of anybody that gets to this level, but as a team, you know, it almost feels like, okay, they were so hungover. And then last year, you kind of saw the opposite effect. Like they were like, okay, we're going to fight through this. And they ended six and two, like you said, but there are so many things working against this team. The roster is old. Um, that Super Bowl loss feels like it's hanging over Quinn and Ryan and even Julio a little bit more so than anybody else. And then we talk about Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley's got arthritis in his knees now. I mean, this guy, I loved watching Todd play when he was healthy, but you're talking about ACL surgeries in college, one of the more horrific ones you've seen in a while. And 
just a lot of wear and tear. And the Rams, who need a good running game with McVay's offense to kind of take a little pressure off Jared Goff, were like, yeah, no, we're okay. We're going to let Gurley go. And you saw Gurley last year, and he did not look good. Anybody that watched Rams tape could look at him and like, man, that's not the same running back. I don't think the Fal- the Falcons don't have anything outside of Julio. I do like Calvin Ridley, but I'm waiting for that next step now. It's like, okay, you're good, but they need him to be, you know, to the next level. Can he get there? It's going to be important, but uh, man, I, I don't like a lot of parts of this team. Yeah, I mean, I, I when I'm looking at their roster, I watched a little bit of of them. Um, I, they run a basic 4-3, but I like some of the players on defense. You know, if they're all healthy, they should be a solid unit. Uh, I like McKinley a lot. I like Grady Jarrett a lot. Uh, I like Dante Fowler Jr. a lot, who they added in the offseason. Uh, Deion Jones, uh, as a middle linebacker, I really like a lot, too. I mean, health has been an issue with, with him. They drafted A.J. Terrell, uh, the corner at, I believe, TCU in the first round. Keanu Neal is the guy who had the pick six on Brady in the Super Bowl. I really like Keanu Neal. DeMonte uh, – Kazee is a guy that I never know how to say his name, but it's a fun name to say regardless. Um, but <laughs> health is going to be the biggest issue with this team, especially on defense. If they're healthy, their defense will be solid. It's not going to be top five or anything, but it has top 10 potential, I think, if they're healthy. I think obviously that's a big caveat. Um, but regardless of health or not, and we touched on it a little bit, but this team's going to fall on the shoulders of Matt Ryan and Dan Quinn. Uh, like you said, they, their loss in that Super Bowl is still kind of on those guys because after Julio makes that crazy catch to put the Falcons in the field goal range, and I think it was in the fourth quarter, all they had to do was kick the field goal, and that probably doesn't happen, and they won the Super Bowl. They get a three and out. Anyway, we get a three and out. Matt Ryan gets sacked. He fumbles the ball, and it's all downhill from there. I think that is hugely on Matt Ryan. I think that's partially on Kyle Shanahan, who's obviously not there anymore. It's also kind of on Dan Quinn. So my question is, and I think I already know the answer, but, you know, you still trust Matt Ryan? Is he still the guy that you believe in now here in 2020? I don't. I think he's on his way out more so than on his way in. He's had a really nice run. He's been good for a very long time. I mean, he's never been the top quarterback outside of 2017, like you said, the MVP year. But he's had some really good seasons. It just feels like his curtain is closing now. And this team just seems like a prime candidate. You know, we talk about the mid-range team. Um, I would say six to nine wins in there. It has that feel to this team. I don't like them at that range at all. But I I think this is a blow it up and you need to start from scratch type of situation. Yeah, there are a few coaches out there that I think could get fired in season. And I think Dan Quinn is a prime candidate for that. I would not be shocked if by week 12 you see the headline that Dan Quinn has been gone, uh, that has been canned, and they move on. I, I think it's fair to say, like your old yellow reference, you got to take him out back and just lay him to rest. Um, official team prediction, you're going to go with what, 6-10? and 10? Yeah, 6-10 and 10 feels like where this team's going to end up. I, I would have given them a better chance if the Bucks didn't just go nuts this offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, last year I, I was pretty bullish on the Falcons on the, in the offseason, and then right before the season um, we got a sports book up here and I talked myself into the over on the Falcons, and I, I lost money on that bet. But uh, <laughs> I'm not going to talk myself into the Falcons this year, uh, although I have respect for Matt Ryan and some of the, their talented pieces, so I'm going to say 7-9. I don't think double-digit losses, but I still think you know, they'll be not a playoff team, obviously. 
all right, this is where the division gets interesting because you have a team here who is consistently a Super Bowl favorite, um, someone who is always in the playoffs, it seems. Um, and part of that is because of the stability of this organization. And part of that is that they've had the same quarterback and the same coach for the last 14 years. Uh, Drew Brees and Sean Payton have been leading the charge down in New Orleans for a very long time. Uh, just how important is that in the NFL these days, Matt? For me, it's tough at this point to say, I think in the beginning and in the middle and even towards the end, it's important, but this feels like the end to me. Like this is the season. If it doesn't happen this year, then I think next year is a totally different ball game for this team. I saw an old Drew Brees last year. Um, I saw Alvin Kamara not being as explosive as he was in his rookie year. I think the loss of Mark Ingram hurt them a lot more than what they would let on. So this is the most important year. And if you're going to go out, you know, go out guns a blazing, have Payton, have Thomas, Breeze, everyone ready to go and see what you can do with it. So for this particular team, it's important because you don't want Drew Breeze with the new coach. Yeah, if, if this is the end, he goes out with Sean Payton. Um, obviously, I think Sean Payton's going to stay. I don't think they're ever going to get rid of Sean Payton unless Sean Payton decides he wants to go. But this feels like the last gun battle at the OK Corral for Drew Brees. So I can't think of a better <laughs> way to go out than with his partner in crime, Sean Payton. So very important this year. I love the old school references that you're bringing today, Matt. I think the audience really doesn't appreciate what you're doing here today. Um, but I'm with you. Uh, Drew Brees signed a contract to be the color commentary person at NBC um, when he retires. And that is strictly based on when he does retire. It does not start in any particular year. But I think that is the writing on the wall that, you know, he knows the end is near here. Um, Drew Brees has looked old, I believe, for the last two years. And, uh, you know, we, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but they've had a couple of deep playoff runs um, and he has not always looked effective. He's been injured a couple times. He's getting kind of old. And I mean, Peyton has been there for so long and they have done so much for the city of New Orleans um, that maybe it is almost time to, you know, start fresh with something else. And I think maybe them signing a guy like Jameis Winston could be a part of that, uh, who played in the divisional just last year, who threw 30 touchdowns who just got LASIK doc surgery, who could be a brand new man. Uh, and the thing around New Orleans is that they love Taysom Hill more than Baltimore loves Lamar Jackson. I don't understand it, but they are obsessed with this guy that they throw out there to block on sweeps. So if this is your future quarterback, you wouldn't be doing that as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I kind of agree with you. This is kind of the last battle I feel for the Saints. And it's been a hell of a run for them. They won a Super Bowl in 2009, but it's 2020 now. Drew Brees is 40 years old. Sean Payton been there for a very long time. And like you said, he might not go anywhere, but at the same time he might. There might be a whole new regime after this, um, which gets me to this point. The way things have ended for them in the last three years, it's hard to take if you're a fan of any team. Uh, I just want to run down their exits. And the playoffs in 2018 was one of the most insane endings to a game I've ever seen in my life. We're just Stephon Diggs and the Minneapolis Miracle, uh, where the safety misses the tackle and the digs takes it in for a touchdown as time expires. And that's just the saints are done. And it's crazy because the saints probably make the super bowl that year. If that doesn't happen uh, the year after that, they're playing the Rams at home and they blow a lead in the second half. And that's when the missed call happened on the pass interference. Uh, everyone got really mad about. 
Um, which, I mean, obviously, it was one of the more egregious no calls in the history of the sport. And they ended up losing that game in overtime after Brees fumbles the ball in overtime and turns the ball over. And that, the rest is history there. And then last year, uh, they are up, I believe, 10 on the Vikings at home. And they let Kirk Cousins come back and beat them <laughs> on a last and an overtime touchdown uh, to end their season. I mean, these are <laughs> kind of heartbreaking ways to leave the playoffs. And they did it three straight years. We give the Falcons a lot of crap for 28-3. to But the Saints, the last three years, God, it's got to be hard to be a fan. Not even so much a fan, but being a player on that team, you start that thought starts creeping in your head, Randy, like what's going to go wrong next, you know? And mm-hmm. you never want that thought, but, man, you talk about a series of just unfortunate events. Like the digs, you can live with that because that's a team mistake. You know, mm-hmm. A player blew a coverage, you can attribute that. But, man, that pass interference call, that one is like a gut punch to the umpteenth degree. It should have never got to that, but, man, that one hurts. And then you take a look at last year, and it's just so fitting that they should have gotten that pass interference call called on um, the Rams. But then they don't get it when Rudolph pushes off. You know, and, and, and my whole breakdown of that was I, I don't think it was offensive pass interference to begin with. I, I thought Rudolph was okay. So, yeah. you know, it's crying over spilled milk. But, you know, Saints fans are going to take it to the umpteenth degree because what happened to the year prior – but this team, you start wondering what's going to happen next, and that's a bad thing to get into. The Falcons have that one game. The Saints have three games now that they have to try to get out of their memory and just ended it. And you're talking about wasting those bullets in an old quarterback, and um, Leon brings up a great point. If you watch Drew Brees' deep ball, man, it, it it's not that good anymore. And for a team that relies on explosive plays – you kind of got to have that. And if that offense doesn't have it, we kind of see it's easy to defend. Without question. Uh, I, I think you watch him and he just doesn't have the same touch. He is not the, the same. He used to be a pretty mobile guy. I think people don't realize how athletic he was, uh, especially in his younger days. He doesn't have that same kind of mobility. He has been injured the last couple of years. He's gotten hurt. He had a thumb issue for maybe five weeks last year. Um, he, you know, when you get old, father time's undefeated with this stuff. Um, and like you said, I love the, the idea of, like, when you're cursed like this, it's just like, what's going to happen now? And I even go back to when the Saints went to Seattle and played the, the Seahawks that won the division at 7-9, and nine, and the beast mode run happened. <laughs> um, that's still one of the craziest plays ever, and the Saints on the losing end of that one, too. Um, if you think about the Saints run, too, they've had some issues with, you know, hard playoff losses. They had Bounty Gate, Trump Payton did get suspended for that. It feels like, to me, that uh, there's that's not a tainted legacy per se, but it's it's certainly an interesting one to look back on and say what could have been. Uh, I yeah. they're kind of entertaining. They're definitely a team to take seriously. Yeah, I would you say. There, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say to to your point, it feels like it's an unfulfilled legacy. You know, where things it should have yeah. been more than what it was. You were supposed to get two or three mm-hmm. Super Bowls out of this, not one. So it definitely yeah. leaves a bit of I, I think we totally missed out. Yeah, I think we missed out on a couple Breeze-Brady Super Bowls that would have been obviously uh, amazing to watch. I think we could have had two of those in the last five years even, and you're talking about two of the best in the history of the game uh, that we're missing out on, which is unfortunate. And I just want to talk, maybe these losses, and you, you know, you're not going to question that team's mental toughness because you said you're not going to do that, but 
they're kind of a soft football team to me. Uh, I know that they have a decent defense. They have a really great secondary. Um, but to me, they – I don't want to say candy ass, but they play in a dome. When they play outside of the dome, they're not nearly as successful. When they play in cold weather, it's not the same. Do you think this is a soft football team? Because I kind of think they are. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Yes and no. I, I think mentally as a unit, they struggle when faced with adversity. And I think it goes back to that pass interference game against the Rams. At that point, if you'd have just said, you know, the loss is on us, we had a lead, we blew it. So that way you take a little bit of the punch mm-hmm. out of it. You know, you're not blaming it on something that's out of your control. Once you start letting those unmitigated factors of, well, the refs cost us this or the refs cost us that, I mean, mentally you've lost. The cold weather and outside the dome stuff, and I struggle with that a lot, Randy, because you can only play where you're selected at playing, you know? So mm-hmm. th- does that make a kid drafted by the bears that's from Florida, you know, of all of a sudden is he a mentally tough football player because he plays in January in Chicago when you're freezing your ball sack off. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think you can only focus on the things that you can control. And if they're letting things like that affect them, and I do agree, if you let the weather affect you, yeah, you're candy ass soft. I mean, I once you see a team's already lost before it started, I mean, you just route them. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I could feel see. like – yeah, I just feel like most of the time, and I'm not blaming them because it's not their fault, but anytime outside of the Dome, it almost seems like they're a little bit of a different football team. Um, and I that, that kind of said, like, maybe Breeze has better numbers because he plays in the Dome. Maybe Michael Thomas plays better because he's in the Dome. Uh, I think there's some guys who benefit from that sort of thing. Um, I just, I question it and it's not their fault. It's just the situation that they're put in here. But when you go up to Philadelphia in the playoffs and you you know, it's a little chilly and you can't handle it. Like, you know, maybe it's your disadvantage that you play in a dome, you know, because you, you play in a dome, you're so used to it being a certain temperature and you don't have to worry about the elements outside that maybe teams from the Northeast or from, you know, the Midwest are a little bit more equipped to play in those type of games than you are. I think that's valid. Yeah. Well, let's be clear on this. I mean, if they make the playoffs, which is not a guarantee, it's likely, but not a guarantee. They go on the road. This team doesn't have a chance in hell. I mean, there's so many things working against it. Like you said, you talk about old quarterback who can't throw the ball downfield very well anymore and who can't cut through the wind with the ball. I mean, you go to Philly, you go to, you know, God knows if the Giants are ever going to make the playoffs, but, you know, it's kind of a joke. I think they're like you know, the Packers. They go to Green Bay. They're, they're toast. So Seattle. You, you go to Seattle. You're yeah. not winning that game, you know, so – Chicago, God forbid if you got to go to Chicago during the winter with that wind. I mean, Chicago's wind during the winter is something else. But, man, I agree. I don't think this team is built to win outside the Dome currently. The conditions have to be perfect. And Breeze's numbers are absolutely inflated by the Dome. You know, and that's why this two landing spots were either Miami or New Orleans. None of those cold-weather teams wanted to touch it because they knew. So a surgically repaired shoulder, cold weather, that's a bad mix. You're 100% right about that. And he was smart to, to follow his well, – I mean, not follow it even, but, I mean, Miami and New Orleans were obviously ideal landing spots for him and his career has taken off uh, because of it. 
I have nothing but respect for Drew Brees. This isn't for me to bash him, but I think that these are reasonable uh, you know, criticisms of him and, and the Saints in general. Um, all right, I want to get your official New Orleans Saints prediction. Uh, three straight years, they've made the playoffs. I believe they won the division three straight years. Uh, can we expect a repeat of that in 2020? Well, I don't think they're winning the division this year. And I think <laughs> this team does make the playoffs. I don't think the NFC is – deep enough for them to miss it. So I, I say 10 and six for this team. Yeah, I, I got double digit wins. I'm going to go 11 and five. I just think that their roster, when you look at it head to toe, uh, is too good. I really love the addition of Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, I love the compliment to him from, to Michael Thomas. Uh, I think he added a lot to the 49ers in the, in the playoffs last year. Um, I love Alvin Kamara. I love Latavius Murray. Uh, I love their running attack. I love their offensive line. They added my boy Cesar Ruiz. They drafted him in the first round, who you did not think was going to go in the first round, but he did. Uh, <laughs> I really love this team's secondary. I think you could say a lot about Cameron Jordan and Sheldon Rankins and their, their front seven. I mean, like Kiko Alonso is a good player, but I really love the foursome they have here of Janoris Jenkins, Malcolm Jenkins, uh, Marcus Williams, and Marshawn Lattimore. That's a really good secondary. Um, it's better now that Eli Apple isn't on it too. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I really love that the, the secondary they have here. Um, CJ Gardner Johnson is always seems to be on the field and doing something. Uh, Patrick Robinson is a solid slot corner as well. You know, the team has talent. Um, you know, they're, they have enough uh, just by roster construction alone. They're going to win 10 games. Uh, I'm going to go 11 and five and whether they win a division uh, is probably unlikely because the team we're going to talk about now, Matt, I think we both agree is what Macho Man Randy Savage would say is the cream of the crop. Yeah. Uh, I believe this team is one of the most loaded teams in all of the sport. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and how crazy that we got to this point with this team that, you know, they had one of the more entertaining quarterback plays of all of 2019 with Jameis Winston putting up the 30 for 30. Um, I told you that was my most entertaining thing about the season is watching Jameis Winston and rooting for him to get 30 interceptions. Uh, he did not disappoint, but the talent has always been there for this team. And now with two key additions, they are absolutely legit. And that is uh, what I think. It, and I think that your opinion might've changed uh, with new information, but the greatest quarterback of all time in Tom Brady. And I think the most talented, if not the greatest, the greatest tight end of all time, Rob Gronkowski are reunited in Tampa Bay and they are both Buccaneers. Uh, Matt, do you believe that those two reunited are going to have the same success in Tampa Bay that they did in New England? No, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be successful as a team, and it doesn't mean they're not going to put up really good numbers. I think Gronkowski is past his prime, but a past Gronkowski or a past prime mm -hmm. Gronkowski is still better than a lot of the tight ends out there. And then you take a look at the stacked tight end position of this team. And then you take a look at the stacked wide receiver position of this team. And then you look at the stacked every other position of this team and you start realizing how damn deep they are. So Brady, you know, we talk about Brady and how I, how my personal feelings about him not being considered in the goat conversation. I mean, I, I don't, I don't consider him that because I think there's a lot of flaws to the argument to say that he's the goat. You can't have that many marks against you. So with that being said, 
there's just too much damn talent. I mean, th- this guy, is, Brady should throw for over 4,000 yards. He should throw for over 40 touchdowns. They can throw short. They can throw deep. They can attack any part of the field that you want to attack with Godforsaken Gronkowski, O.J. Howard, Cameron Brait. Then you got Mike Evans and Goodwin. I mean, you talk about this thing goes on and on and on. And then you talk about the backfield. And we talked about it before the show. I think they should be okay with Ronald Jones. And then you bring up the point of like, they don't really need a great running back with everything else they got on this offense. So Ronald Jones is more than capable of putting up really good numbers from the running back position when everyone's going to have to play nickel and dime against this defense and try to figure out how to defend a three tight end set, which I'm going to give you credit for Randy. You're the one that brought that up. They could definitely start three tight ends and not miss a beat offensively. I mean, you talk about so much talent on this team. This, this team's loaded from top to bottom, and I didn't even talk about the defense yet. <laughs> yeah, it's we're going to end up drooling over this team all day because, you know, we'd kill to have a roster like this. Uh, the three tight ends are going to be a thing. I don't know if you guys are ready for it or not, but Rob Gronkowski, for as great of a receiving threat he is, was also a Hall of Fame blocking tight end, and he's going to be on the field at all times, and whether he runs out for a pass or he stays in the block, he's going to make a big difference uh, in that aspect, and that's why I think Ronald Jones will be fine. Um, you know, you're going to have enough blocking. I think their offensive line is fine. They drafted Tristan Wirfs uh, in the first round, which was like the only pick I got right in my mock draft, but <laughs> there was four big offensive tackles in the draft. They got one of them. Uh, it was a big get for them when because Tom Brady's 40 three you know he's an old man now you got to keep him upright uh, but you you said it man the, the the talent on offense and we're gonna get to the defense in a second but there's no weakness here except for the running back position and I just want to point out that the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl with an undrafted running back who benefited by having other talented players around him and it's not to say Damian Williams isn't good on his own right but he was undrafted for a reason um, but when you have players uh, that draw more attention to them and a quarterback who can make plays, the running back will be successful. And that's always been my argument against running backs is that if you have everything else in place, it truly doesn't matter who's back there. You can throw Ronald Jones. I, I will bet you right now that Ronald Jones will have a thousand yards rushing this year. And it'll be, you know, pretty early in the season even. I mean, they're going to run the ball. So he's going to be the beneficiary of that. If he's healthy, he's going to be successful in this offense. Um, but. I, I cannot wait to see the three tight ends with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Like this offense is going to be insane. Um, as far as Tom Brady, I mean, maybe he can't throw the ball deep as much as he could, used to be able to, but you know, he's in the Florida air now. You got a good offensive line. You got a different style coach. You got the weapons to do so. I am not worried about Tom Brady. And I, I think Gronk is going to be huge for this team. I know OJ Howard uh, is not the happiest person in the world, but, if O.J. Howard sticks around, he's going to be successful on this offense as well. So I want to see how that goes, too. Um, and now I want to get to what I think is probably your favorite part about this team is their defense. Um, I am wearing my Jason Pierre-Paul New York Giants number 90 jersey uh, because I didn't know what else to wear today. But I figured I'd rep a guy who had great success with the Giants before he blew his hand off with fireworks uh, on the 4th of July in 2015. But he is just one name on a list of players who are insane. Like, you're talking Indomic and Sue, Vita Vea, Devin White, Levante David, Shaq Barrett, uh, you know, had 10 sacks in the first six weeks of the season last year. Um, 
the secondary, you know, still, you know, you need a little, <laughs> there's a little bit to be desired there, but the defense as a whole, I know you're just excited about it as I am, right, Matt? When they are going to put up points at the level that they're going to put up points at, and you can pin your ears back and just rush the passer and not have to worry about the run, I mean, this is going to be a devastating combination. The secondary will improve just by that alone because the quarterback's mm-hmm. going to be on a clock. You know they're not going to run the football, so you just, boom, go after the quarterback and – this team will probably struggle if it's a dogfight. If they can't score points, this defense could struggle trying to stop the run a little bit off play action. So there are mild concerns. But you talk about upper echelon teams defensively. I mean, this was a top five defense last year, and they didn't get any worse. So no. you take a look at this. And I think one of the more underrated aspects, and I just want to touch on O.J. Howard really quick, because I think it's important to realize he was really good at, at Alabama at blocking and receiving. So he's also mm-hmm. kind of that dual threat tight end. His NFL blocking needs a little bit refinery, but it's gotten better. So with Gronk and O.J. Howard being able to stay in and block, it creates nightmares for the opposing defense. But defensively, what this team can do with that defensive line – I it's it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. If Brady doesn't have to go to Green Bay and Philadelphia for a playoff game, I can't. I don't know what team outside of San Francisco really trips them up. Not even uh, the end division rival Saints, huh? I don't think the Saints can do enough offensively to keep pace with what's going to happen. Because what they're going to be able to do is control the clock. And the Saints, I feel, let's just call this the geriatric quarterback division. We got a lot of old quarterbacks in this division. Ryan, Breeze, and Brady. I mean, by far, it's got to be the oldest quarterbacks in the league. I, I, I dare someone to find me a division that has older quarterbacks. So this is the AARP South is what you're saying. Yes, the AARP South. Very fittingly. So we take a look at the Saints. Breeze is not doesn't have the same amount of weapons that Brady is going to have at his disposal. He doesn't have the tight ends. The wide receivers, I mean, I really like Emmanuel Sanders. But defensively, who, who do I give the edge to? I think the front seven is better in Tampa. Secondary is light years better in New Orleans. But with what Tampa can do, I think – it's going to be a dogfight, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think Tampa Bay is one of the top four teams in this NFL this year. Yeah, I love the 3-4 setup uh, with that front and the linebackers that they have on the outside uh, on the pass rush. They're going to be hard to block. Uh, and, I, you know, if they're, I'm just I'm, – I'm going to fear playing them. I know they've come to New York and play the Giants at some point this year, and, you know, I fear for Daniel Jones in that game, uh, considering the Giants' offensive line is not very good. Um, but that leads me to my final point or final talking point for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you're an Arizona guy, so you're more familiar with this man probably more than I am. But, uh, you know, when you have a lot of talent on a team like this, it matters so much who your coach is and if they can handle uh, all the pressure that goes into this. Uh, is Bruce Arians the right guy for this job? And I'm going to ask you point blank, can he handle this? God, Bruce Arians is the perfect guy for this. I mean, you talk about a coach – I mean, he's going to give them an edge that Brady didn't have in New England. Like, Belichick was always the quiet, you know, speak softly, carry a big stick type of coach who loved his video cameras. 
Bruce Arians, <laughs> on the other hand, man, he is bluster. He he is a professional wrestler manager. He's like the Paul Heyman of the NFL. Yes. You know, he, he's going to go out there and he's like, we're going to kick your ass and you can't stop us. He, they had a mantra down here, no risk it, no biscuit. So I guarantee you Brady's going to be throwing deep. There's going to be plenty of deep balls in the air. I mean, Arians point blank is the best man for this job. There's not a better coach for this. Wow. I, I agree that, you know, that, Arians is a great coach for this position. I didn't th- consider that he would be the best option, but I love his personality uh, with this team. And I think when you have veterans who might need some kicking in the ass to get going a little bit here and there, uh, and then you have a mix of young players as well, I think Arians is the guy who can totally bring everyone together and, and fight for that one common goal, which is obviously to win a championship. But now all I can think about is him going up on the podium and going, Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Paul Heyman. And now I just want him to go, my client, Tom Brady. And I just want him to cut a promo on the world now and, and, and the Paul Heyman way about him. I want him to waddle up to the podium. and That's all I can see in my head now. So thank you for doing that for me. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> that is just the perfect analogy. And it's almost like the Bucks will be the Brock Lesnar of this uh, the NFL this year where they will dominate you. And then if it comes down to a tight, match up here in my struggle so it may be a perfect analogy if you're a wrestling fan um all right so now i want to get your final prediction uh for the tampa Bay buccaneers it is july 10th and i think that we're both crazy excited for the bucks what's it going to be what is the ceiling for this team i think a preseason or the lack there of a preseason hurts this team a lot not enough to dash their hopes 12 and 4 Wow. I expected more. So are you going the route of, you know, division champion and, you know, Super Bowl appearance, or are you, you know, holding the horses on that for now? I'm going to hold the horses on the Super Bowl appearance and the division I I think is theirs. I I think they win this division, whether it's 12, 13 wins. I mean, I think it's somewhere in that range, but I think historically with Brady and this bunch not having a preseason kind of hurts them. Brady's as smart as they come, but Arian runs a different type of offense, and it's going to require a little tinkering and getting used to in-game action. And Brady's thrown to guys that he hasn't really thrown to in-game action before. So I'm going to pump the brakes. I still really like a lot of teams out west. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm holding my cards close to the vest with the Bears. I know a lot of people are you know, going to bash me about the Bears, but I, I really think Nick Foles is a big difference maker. But – at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. It comes down to Patrick Roman Reigns Mahomes. So he, to me, everything else is secondary to him. He's the equalizer of everything in this league. But the Bucks are definitely a Super Bowl contender. I just, man, I, I really like San Francisco. I really like Seattle. Um, I'm a little bearish on the bears no pun intended there and i really like the bucks and i really like the eagles how did we get to the point where you're talking about the bears when i ask you if the bucks are gonna make the super bowl how did we get here this is what happened great defense great defense and and brady doesn't have the advantage of television cameras recording defensive signals Uh, anymore 
All right. All right. He had to take the pot shot on there at the end. So uh, I'm pretty sure the audience is not the most surprised ever that you <laughs> went the Bears were out there. I didn't, that would shock me a little bit. Um, but Bucks are going to, I think, 13-3 is going to be the Bucks. I think that, you know, the preseason, I hear you on that. Uh, two games should be plenty for them to get their the stride. And um, I think they have a pretty favorable schedule. They're going to beat up on the two bad teams in their division. Um, I think that, you know, they're going to beat up on a lot of the bad teams that they play. And I'm just excited to watch what Arians does here. I want to see the creative three tight end sets. Um, I want to see, you know, can Brady, you know, throw the ball 50 yards downfield to Mike Evans, or is he just going to be the dump off guy to Chris Godwin all season? So I, I love this team. I love the defense. I don't love the secondary, but I'm going to go 13 and three. And at the very least, they're going to represent – they're going to be a Final Four team. They're going to be in the NFC Championship game. Um, I do like the 49ers. I do like the Seahawks. I don't love the Bears, but there are other teams that I give respect to. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. Uh, at the end of the day, we're, we're all living in Pat Mahomes' world, and whoever makes it is just probably going to lose him in the Super Bowl anyway. So uh, this has been a lot of fun, Matt. Uh, I love doing these shows with you and doing these division previews. Um, but, but that said, we are going to do another division preview. We're going to keep this ball rolling here. We're halfway done with the divisions. we got four more to go. I'm going to post another poll in the group. I want everyone uh, to vote for us and let us know which division you want to break down next. we got some good ones left. we got some guests to be had on the show. Uh, I know you're excited about that. We had a great show last week doing your division, the NFC North. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but, uh, you know, stick around in these groups because we have plenty of shows all the time throughout the week. Uh, and there might be something going on this weekend, but I know that we have an AMA with Leon and I know that, um, we have a Donk city, which is our flagship show, which is what we all strive to be like as good as Vince and Henry over there in baseball life, uh, on Monday at six thirty or seven o'clock. Um, so check that out. Baseball's coming, Matt. I don't know about you. I'm pretty excited for the season. Yeah, I'm ready for it, man. Randy, I, I, I've been waiting for something. So yeah, j- just give me a little bit of something, a little bit of taste. Yeah, we all need some sports in our life. So baseball looks like it'll be the first one back here in a couple of weeks. Uh, Matt, do you have any parting shots for the audience? A couple of things. I want to say what's up to my boy, Junior. Haven't seen him in a while. Glad that he's tuning in and watching. Um, for the AMA with Leon, I strongly suggest Leon loves Detroit Lion questions about Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson. I mean, he gets a great fulfillment out of answering how the Lions made two great players retire in their prime. So I strongly suggest you ask those questions to Leon. He's not going to be shy about it. And also, Randy, as always, a pleasure. I can't say enough how easy and how smooth these shows run. I cannot wait for next week. Hopefully we hit up some NFC East or some AFC West or AFC South, very sneaky division. I really like a particular team in there. So keep the ball rolling, people. Yeah, Matt, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I'm hard-pressed to find anyone who knows more about uh, X's and O's and, you know, getting down and dirty playing football than you. So I I love talking to you about this stuff, and you're an expert uh, in every sense of the word. Uh, For everyone watching us, whether it is on Facebook Live, whether it is on YouTube, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's on Anchor, I really appreciate all the support uh, for all of these podcasts. I know I'm not speaking just for us, but if you check out any of these shows, it is greatly appreciated and you keep us going here. We truly love doing it. So 
I hope you all you are all staying safe. If you live in the Northeast, please brace yourself for a hurricane because it's coming. Uh, Matt, until we speak again, buddy, it was a pleasure as always. Have a great week. Absolutely, Randy.